Hello and welcome to the fifth episode of the Trainer Tools podcast. I'm John Tomlinson and today I'm going to be talking to Larry Reynolds about the subject of role plays. It's always one of those things that delegates tend to not look forward to or claim that they fear, but it's usually something that they get a lot of value from. So Larry's developed a six-step method to ensure that those role players are really successful. I'm here with Larry Reynolds. Hi, Larry. Hi, John. Um, what are you going to talk to us today about? Uh, we're going to talk about role play. And I'm going to talk about role play because I think while it's an incredibly powerful development method, it's one that not a lot of course participants actively look for. It's pretty rare when you're running a training course that participants show up at the beginning and say, I hope we're going to do lots of role play today because it's my favourite way of learning. It's more often, in fact, that you get people saying, quite looking forward to today, but we won't be doing any role play, will you? So this is a way about how you organise role play uh, so that participants really enjoy doing it. Okay, I think that's really useful because I, I completely share that experience of people not looking forward to it and then sort of rolling their eyes and groaning when you introduce it. But at the same time, it tends to be the thing that, that they put down on the form at the end that added the most value. Yeah, that's my experience. And and quite often at the end of a programme where I use role play, I'll have a couple of participants coming up and saying, look, normally I hate role play, but this was the best part of the course for me. So I think that underlines the fact that it's a very powerful way of learning. Great. So how are you going to structure this? Well, I want to talk first about the kind of role play that I think is most useful. And then I'm going to talk through six key steps that, uh, in my experience, you need to follow if you're going to get it to work really well. Okay, so let's start with the kind of role play. Broadly speaking, there are two kinds of role play you can do on a training course. One is where you get all the participants to engage in role play at the same time. Typically, if you've got a dozen people on the course, you'll have them in groups of two and three working on role plays at the same time. The other way of doing it is to have a couple of volunteers up at the front performing a role play in front of everyone else. Both approaches have their pros and cons, but I think the second approach, having a performance in front of everyone else, is the most powerful because that means that the trainer is able to make sure the role play stays on course and draw out all the key learning points. Whereas when you send people away into small groups to do it, for one thing, you don't really know they're doing role play. It, it, it's hard to make sure they actually follow the instructions. And secondly, you can't be sure that they're going to get the best learning out of it. So the six steps I'm going to talk about now are really for what I would call like a performance role play, when you get people up at the front uh, acting out in front of everyone else. I prefer that kind of role play as well, but it is a little bit more intimidating for people. So I can understand why sometimes people don't do that and they prefer the other one, the one where the people go off and do their own thing because it's less intimidating. That's right. Right. And that's why I think these six steps will really help, because it's critical that you choose the right people to do that role play. And we'll talk about that in a moment. OK. Well, do you want to take us through the six steps then? The first step is that you use real case studies. Uh, when I first started doing role play on training courses many, many years ago, I used to write the case studies for the participants. But I think it's much better if they write their own case studies. So typically what I would do is I... I would divide people into smaller groups, maybe groups of about three, and ask each group to think about a real challenge they're facing. Now, if it's a course on performance management, it can be a performance management challenge. If it's about influencing skills, it can be someone they're trying to influence. If it's about customer service, it 
it could be a, 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 a situation dealing with customers. But whatever it is, the three people come up with a real challenge. And in my brief to them, I say, this challenge needs to be real, something that's real for you. It might be based on the experience of one of you in the group of three or, or all three of you that want to combine together your experiences to come up with something that is meaningful for all of you. And then I typically, I get them to write up on a flip chart a short summary of their situation. So I do uh, a course called Courageous Conversations, which is uh, uh, partly about performance management. So I would have people in their groups of three write up on a flip chart who, who's the who's the person they're trying to manage, what's what's the problem, what's the difficulty with this situation, what outcome do they want to happen. So in a sense, we get uh, all the people on the courses preparing their own mini case studies. So why is it so important that they come up with the case studies? There are two reasons. One is that if the participants are going to come up with the case studies themselves, they're going to be much closer, much more relevant to their learning needs than anything I could come up with. And the second reason, frankly, is it's less time for you as a trainer. I'm quite lazy as a trainer and I want to get away with doing as little as possible consistent with the participants learning as much as possible. So if they learn more when they write the case studies, that's the way I want it to be. Yeah, I'm not I'm not sure the second reason is that convincing. <laughs> but if it works, it works. I suppose that's good. Um, but what if they don't actually come up with anything that really illustrates the learning? Do you have anything in your back pocket just in case? Or? No, I don't because I don't believe that could happen. And this is a bit of kind of philosophy of training here, which is that I think the learners come along with the stuff that they need to learn. So when they write the case studies, because they've come up with them and because I've asked them to be based on their real experiences, by definition, that's the most pressing, relevant piece of learning for them. So as the trainer, I may think they need to learn all sorts of other stuff. But if they're saying, look, this is a real situation I'm facing, this is the situation I want some help on, I'm going to go with their agenda, not with mine. Yeah, so if they have come to the training course with a particular learning need, of course, they will be able to generate that case study. Okay, so what would be the next step? So once we've got a number of case studies, we're going to role play one of them. Typically, I would ask each group very, very briefly to summarise their case study. And then I usually say something like, okay, we're going to look at all of these case studies, but we're going to look at at some of them in quite a lot of detail. And the first one we're going to consider is... And then I would choose one of the case studies. And I'll come back in a moment to saying which one I would choose. And for that case study, I would ask uh, the three people in the group to explain through in a bit more detail what the situation is and, and what they're trying to do. And as that doing that, I'm noticing who in the group is, is choosing to explain that. Because the chances are that the person who is being the spokesperson for that group is, is the most confident in that group. Also, when I choose which case study to look at, I've got two criteria in my mind. One is, what's the case study that's going to be most useful to the whole group? Because some of the case studies that people come up with are quite kind of representative of common problems. Some are a bit specialised and idiosyncratic. So I want to choose the one that is going to be most relevant to the whole group, because when we role play it, I want it to be relevant to the whole group. The other reason for choosing the case study is that in that group, in the group that's that's come up with the case study I've chosen, there are one or two people who seem quite confident, quite keen to learn. And I'll know that because I've been looking at the group 
throughout the course. It's rare that you do role plays as absolutely the first thing. So uh, during the course of the day, I've been thinking, you know, who's confident here? Who asked lots of questions? Who seems keen to learn? Who seems, you know, okay about asking questions in front of the whole group? So I'm making a judgment in a way about the people who are quite likely to be happy to volunteer for a role play. Did, so, did that come into did that come into it when you initially split them up into the groups of three? No, no. I, I, I mean, you can. There's different ways of doing it when you have people working in small groups. Generally, I just let people choose what what groups they want to be in. But you you can allocate them as well. But at, at that point, I'm happy for uh, people to work with people that they feel com- comfortable with. So it means that in choosing the case study, I've got a pretty good idea that one or two people in that group of three will be happy to do a bit of role play. And as we, as they present their case studies, as I talk about it, I often say something like, oh, I can feel a role play coming on here. And I say to one of the people in that group, I'd like to role play this in front of everyone else. Would you be willing to do that role play? On condition that you get lots and lots of help for your colleagues and you get to choose which role you play in the role play. And uh, uh, fingers crossed at this point, I've never had anyone refuse. And if you if if you choose the right person and you frame it properly, you make it clear they're going to get lots of support. Almost always, uh, well, always in my experience, uh, someone says, oh, all right, then I'll give it a go. Okay, so, you, so you're not actually setting this up as a role play from the beginning. You're asking it to a, a case study generation exercise initially, and then only as you're exploring it, you're introducing the idea of role play. That's absolutely right, yeah. So I'm not going to, I don't begin by saying we're going to do some role plays now, who wants to volunteer? I say, let's look at some real case studies. And then I'm kind of saying, I'm kind of hinting the most effective way to explore this is going to be through role play. You know, will, will you help doing this? And I think that frame is a really good frame on it. And I would add, actually, that I'm just trying to think if I've ever done this. On some occasions, with some participants on a course, it may actually not be the best method to use a role play, in which case, you know, don't, you know, just just discuss the case studies, do some problem solving, you know, share the experiences, do it that way. Um, so it's not like you have to. But uh, as I say, I think that's often the most the most uh, effective way of doing it. All right. So at this point now, we've got the various case studies. You've been observing, so you've picked out some characters you feel might be more willing. You've picked out um, a case study that you feel has wider application that the rest of the people can observe from and you've started to introduce this idea of role play so where would you be going next with this okay so i've done all of that and i've got one person who's kind of said yeah all right then go on i'll give it a go and so i asked that person to come up the front and sit down in one of two empty chairs so i've got two chairs ready for the role play and typically in a role play you know one person is kind of being the manager or the influencer or the customer service person and the other person is being you know the problem member of staff or the person who needs to be influenced or, or the tricky customer or whatever it is so the person who's volunteered i say to them you've got a choice which role do you want to blame this do you want to be the manager the influencer the person who's sorting this out or do you want to be you know the tricky customer the tricky member of staff and Usually, in my experience, people prefer to be the manager, the the person who's kind of leading the role play. But it's almost like a kind of get out. If they feel, oh, that's going to be hard because this case study is a hard one, then they have the option of of role playing 
as it were, the difficult member of staff, the person to be influenced. So it just makes it a bit more comfortable for that person who's volunteered initially. So they choose whatever role they want. And then I turn and look at the two other people in that case study group. And I'm looking absolutely those two other people. And I say, look, we've got someone here ready to do the role play. We need someone else to be the other role. I'm looking at you two particularly because you obviously know this case study because you helped to write it. And again, in my experience, at that point, you know, the two people look at each other. Sometimes one person volunteers, sometimes one of them volunteers the other one. But it's fairly easy to get the other person to, to, to come up to play the other role. So the other person comes up and you get them sitting in the two chairs. So we're almost ready now to start the role play. All right. Well, that's very interesting. I'm really struck with how sort of carefully you've managed that to, uh, I was going to use the word manipulate. I don't want to use that word. How carefully you've managed that in order to set that up in such a way to ensure that it's least stressful for the people that are participating. Yeah. Especially given the performance aspect. That, that's right. Because it is, you know, in on most courses, even with very confident individuals, it's quite a big deal to come up the front and to role play something. And you just, you just got to make it, you got to make it as easy as possible for them, I think. Yeah, so, absolutely. Although I do think it's more stressful to us beforehand, the anticipation of it. I think once people get going, as I'm sure you're going to say, that uh, you know it, it tends to actually be a really valuable experience and people are quite good at it. Yeah, yeah, I think that, that, that that's right. So we've got in a situation now where we've got two people sitting out ready to do the role play, but there's some really important setup stuff to do. And the first bit of setup, I say to them, I say, and I, I kind of, I'm addressing this both to the two role players, but also to everyone in the rest of the audience. I say, the most important thing to say about role play is that it isn't real. This is a training course. This is artificial. This is not real. You know, you are not really a problem person. You're just pretending to be one. So I kind of frame that because when I first used to do role plays on courses many years ago, more than 25 years ago, people often used to say, oh, yeah, but it's not real. Is it? It's only role play. And I think it's better to address that head on because they're right. It isn't real, but the learning can be. And that's my life. The role play itself isn't real, but it, but the learning that comes out of it is real. So that when the people are doing the role play, I say to them, if you need to make up any kind of facts and figures just to keep the thing going, you know, do that. You know, the, the thing is about how you interact rather than the specific content. The second thing I do that is, I think, absolutely critical to success is to explain the use of the pause button. And I say to the two participants, at any time during this role play, if you feel uncomfortable, you just don't know where to go or you want some ideas, just kind of lift your hand up, put your thumb up and go pause and press a big imaginary pause button. And what we'll do at that point is stop the role play and then we'll ask the rest of the people on the course for their ideas on how to continue it. And I say to them, and as the trainer, I may use that pause button as well. If there comes a point in the role play where I think it's helpful to stop and talk about how things are going, I can use that pause button. And I think that pause button is really, really key. Yeah, I've used that before in role plays as well. And it is quite uh, powerful. And often I've actually leapt in and done the first pause button in order to sort of break the ice on that as well, because it is so useful. Oh, it, it, it's great. And again, it's taking the pressure off. So the person the person who's being kind of the manager or the influencer or the customer service rep, you know, whoever that is, they know that if it gets really tricky, they just have to wallop on the pause. So we're ready to go now, but there's a couple of other things I need to, to do before we actually start. One is to turn around and look at everyone else in the room. And, and I say to them, although our focus of attention is going to be on this role play, the most important 
important thing is what you do in terms of observing what's happening. And I say to everyone else, because at the very end of the role play, I will be asking you for some really specific feedback. I'll be asking you for what's one thing the person did that was really good, what's one thing they could have done differently to have made it even better, and I want you to be really specific on that. So I really encourage the audience to observe, take notes, that kind of stuff. And then to get the role play going, I check that the two role players are happy, and then I feed the the person who's leading the role play, the person playing the kind of manager role, I feed the opening line. I say, okay, we're ready to begin. Why don't you begin by saying something like, say something like this to the other person. Thanks very much for coming to see me. I wanted to talk to you about whatever it is. So I actually feed them a line to get going. And then I step back. I physically step back from where those two people are sitting so that I'm kind of out of the field of view. And then I let the role play go and and I jot some notes until it's time to put on the pause button. Okay, so by my count, we're up to number three there. So number one was very much about using the real case studies that they have generated themselves, and and I suppose choosing the the, the correct case study to use for the role play. Number two is about getting the right volunteers, and number three was about that setup that you've just been talking about there, not just the role play and the role players, but the observers as well. That's absolutely perfect, John. That's right. Yeah. So there's quite a lot to think about before the role play actually begins. So we're now on to step four, which is about how the role play actually runs and when to use the the pause button. So this is kind of where running a role play is as much an art, I think, as 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 a science. Generally speaking, I rely quite on my intuition at this point. If the role play seems to be going pretty well, the person taking the lead role seems to be, you know, broadly moving things in the right direction, I will let the role play run. But if they're going off course or they're struggling, I leap in and do the pause button. And at that point, once you put pause things, there's a number of options for what you as a trainer can do. One is you can simply say to the role players, you know, how's it going? You know, is there anything you want to change? Another one is you could ask the audience, how's it going? Do you want to change? Another thing is you yourself can make some suggestions for what's going on. Another thing is to do a a mini debrief at that point. Quite often when I first put the pause button on, I find myself saying something like, okay, so, so far that's good. You've both agreed that there's a common problem. You've got quite a good relationship going. And now you need to go on to the next stage, which is about doing something about the problem or whatever it is. Um, So that's that's using the pause button. You do that mini debrief, whatever it is, you take the the pause button off and you let them move on. And again, exactly the same thing applies uh, if one of the role play participants put the pause button on. Typically, they'll do that if they're struggling. And then it's the same thing. You can ask the other people on the course, you know, what suggestions have you got? Or you can even make some suggestions for yourself. And sometimes if the role playing people get really stuck, you can not only make a suggestion, but you can even like write up something on the flip chart for one of the role players to say, to, to take the thing forward. And that's that's letting the role play go as long or as short as it needs to be. Generally speaking, I, I aim for it to be kind of shorter rather than longer. It, it's very unusual for this kind of role play to go on more than maybe five minutes, ten, absolutely at tops. And you're using your judgment then about looking for the pause whenever you see it might not be going in the right direction or it's slowing down or stumbling or something like that. 
the point I made before when we were, uh, earlier in the cast was um, sometimes I used to look for almost excuses to do that just because I found the use of the pause button so useful for the the people that were doing it. So I wanted to break their ice and show that it was okay to use the pause button. What's your opinion of that? Yeah, I I, th- I think generally that kind of role modeling thing from the trainer is good. And so I think that's sometimes a good thing to do. I think the other reason where you might use the pause button quite early on is that sometimes you get the people who are doing the role play who are doing very well, but they look as if they're really nervous and worried about it. And sometimes it's quite useful just to wallop the pause button on and and you say to the person in the role playing, how's it going? And they say, uh, all right, I think. And then you turn to the audience and say, how are they doing? And the audience says, oh, fantastic. Great. It's really on course. And you say, yeah, that's absolutely right. You know, what you're doing is spot on. Just carry on. That's good. And then you take the pause button off. So sometimes it can be a bit of a, a confidence boost as well as um, a kind of a, a, a signal thing for that it's okay to use the pause button. Yeah, the positive reinforcement, again, just that, that especially the early nerves as, they, as they're getting along and the self-consciousness of it, of course, yeah. Okay, so that's point four. That's about the, the skillful use of the pause button there. So where's where do we go next with point five? Okay, so now we're on to knowing when to finish the role play. And as I mentioned earlier, it's better to keep it shorter rather than longer. And you don't have to let the role play come to a full ending. Sometimes, uh, particularly when there's a, a role play which is about kind of managing poor performance or, or influencing skills or dealing with customers, sometimes there's a point where there's almost like a psychological shift where you feel that the person dealing with that problem has kind of got things on track. Now, you could let them go on where they absolutely finalise the whole detail and agree the action plan, all of that, but sometimes it's okay to stop when you get that kind of psychological shift. It, it, it's a question of judgment. It depends very much on the topic, the people, the learning points you want to bring out. But I think the point I'm making here is that it's okay to finish before the the full end of the conversation. And it's your judgment as to whether you want it to be a longer or a shorter role play. So that's, that's point five, knowing when to finish. And then we're on to the most important thing of the whole process, which is point six, which is managing the debrief. One thing I want to say about um, managing the debrief is that, of course, you want to get the observers to give feedback to particularly the person who was leading the role play about all the things they did well and the things they could do to better. And you want that because you want the people in the audience to be noticing those things. It's part of their learning when they say, oh, I thought this was good and this was not so good. But in my experience, often the quality of that feedback from the other people in the course isn't as high as the feedback that you can offer as a trainer. So for that reason, the order in which I tend to do it is this. First of all, I would ask each person in in the group, in the audience, as it were, to give one piece of positive feedback. So we kind of go around and everyone gives one piece of positive and then one piece of do differently, one thing that the person could have done differently. And you write those up on a flip chart. So I have two columns in the flip chart, you know, kind of do well and do differently. Then while the audience members are contributing their bits, I'm thinking, what else do I need to say? And when the audience has given their bits, I will add in some some other bits of feedback. There's a real judgment call here about, on the one hand, you want to be giving enough positive feedback that the person who's be volunteered by you feels oh I did that reasonably well 
but also you want to be honest about the things that they could have done differently. So getting that that balance is right. In my experience, the, the people in the audience will tend to find it easier to give the positive stuff rather than the critical stuff. So I would quite often frame it, I make sure all the positive stuff is covered. And then I quite often say something like this, where I would say to the person, look, basically, that was great. I'm going to be quite nitpicking here and I'm going to be quite tough on you. And the reason I'm being this is because I want the other people out there in the rest of the course to learn as well as you. So is it okay if I'm quite nitpicking? And they say, yeah, of course. Yeah. You know, da, da, da. And then I, I put in the, in the do differently. And I think that just helps it both to frame it a bit, but also to make sure that the do differently is a very, very specific. I mean, there's all that stuff about, you know, specific actionable, actionable feedback. So I do that. And then at the very end, I ask the two people in the role play how, how it was for them. Uh, and in particular, the person who was kind of on the receiving end of the feedback, the person who uh, who was role playing the uh, the difficult member of staff or the person to be influenced or the awkward customer, I asked them for, for their feedback uh, uh, last of all. I was just just on that point. I'm interested in why you leave them to the end rather than not give them the, the the chance to first of all say, you know, now relax, take a second. How was that for you? Yeah, I suppose. I mean, it's a really interesting question. And I know other trainers do it differently. Other trainers kind of feel, you know, well, they've done the role play, so they ought to get a chance to say it first. I guess there's something about they've kind of been on the spot doing the role play and they need a bit of a break. And they also need to in a sense, be rewarded by receiving some high quality feedback before they have to like come up with more stuff themselves. So that's my rationale, I think, for doing it. I mean, I'm, I, you know, I'd be interested, you know, I maybe ought to experiment a bit more doing it different ways, but that, that approach certainly seems to work for me. And it kind of rounds it off quite nice. I quite like the idea that the people who have been brave enough to volunteer or be volunteered kind of get the last word on things i think there's something nice about that yeah i can see the advantage of that and i can also see your point is when the role play is finished and you say to somebody how was that often their reaction is quite they might be quite bland and say something like it was fine or they might be extremely negative and hard on themselves because they're anticipating sort of criticism from others so I, could, I, I think that makes sense what you've said, actually. I've never done it like that. I've always done it the other way. But I, I think there's, quite, uh, there's a good idea that I'm going to try out. Oh, great. Good, good. Good stuff. So finally, then, that's, that's kind of the end of the role play stuff. But there's a, there's a couple of kind of wrapping up things that I need to say. I mean, that, that's my six steps. But so there's just a bit of wrapping up things now. And then, then I think we're kind of done on this. One bit of wrapping up is that if during the course you've used any kind of model or framework then now's the time to relate that model or framework to whatever you've just been doing in the in in the role play so i, I don't know if you're uh, if you've been doing something on customer service and your organization has some sort of checklist or acronym or some sort of approach for customer service you want to relate what's gone on in that role play to to your model so there's a bit of relating it to to the model or the framework that you've been using it then the other thing to do is to make sure that before you go on to the next bit of the training course you deal with the other case studies in some way. So, for example, if if you've had, I don't know, 12 people on the course, you've actually had four groups of three coming up with their case studies, and you've only looked at one of them, the one you just role-played. 
So you need to make sure you take care of everyone else's case studies in some way. And how you do that depends on the time available. So if you've got lots and lots of time and you think it will be worth doing, you might actually want to role play another one of those case studies or even two more in some circumstances. Or you might want to do a bit of just kind of problem solving on that. So you might want to allow each group a time to present its case study and then just get like top suggestions for from other people for how they deal with it. Or you might even do an exercise where each group passes on its case study to another group and the other group writes down some solutions on the flip chart and hands it back again. There's different ways of doing it. But the key point, I think, is you want to, you know, you've asked the people to put the effort in to come out with their own case studies. So you need to make sure that all the case studies get some sort of work done on them. And that that's just about kind of playing straight with them, really. And once you've done that, then you're done. And you all go and have a cup of tea and you wait for the participants to come up to you and say, gosh, normally I don't like role plays, but this was really, really useful. Right. OK. Do you want to just quickly run through what those six steps were again then? Now we've got to the end to the cup of tea point. So step one is about get people to generate real case studies and role play those rather than writing the case studies first and rather than saying we're going to do a role play now. So get people to generate their own real case studies, that's step one. Step two is to choose the right volunteer, the right person to do the role play based on someone who you've observed earlier in the course is, you know, confident, up for it, they're going to do reasonably well and the case study they've chosen on is relevant to everyone in the room. Number three is getting the setup right. Say this isn't a real life, it's a role play, but the learning is real. Here's how we're going to use the pause button. You know, make sure the other people in the room are observing. Step four is to use the pause button appropriately. Step five is to know when to finish. And step six is to manage the debrief. And then with those last two points that you mentioned there, which was about ensuring that you absolutely use the other or acknowledge and find some way of using the other case studies that you generated. And the other point that you made was it should tie back to whatever learning you did previously, whatever model framework theory that you've been using throughout the course. You should tie that back into the into the role play. That's absolutely right. You want to make sure that there's a kind of consistency between, if you like, the very practical stuff you've done on the course and any models or theories or frameworks that you've been looking at. Okay, well, that sounds really useful, and I'm very much looking forward to using that, which I will have the opportunity to to do so in two weeks' time. I will test it out and let you know how I get on. Brilliant. Well, good luck. And I suppose my final kind of words on this are it doesn't have to be perfect. You know, if, if your frame for all of this is we're going to kind of play around, we're going to experiment, it's not real life, we, we're not sure where we go, we can put the pause on, we can get other ideas, it kind of just makes it a really nice, fun, engaging thing to do. That's great. Thank you very much for that, Larry. Do you want to just tell everybody where you're from, who you work for? My name is Larry Reynolds. I run a consultancy called 21st Century Leader. And most of our work is about helping managers in business to have more courageous conversations. So we believe that courageous conversations are the key to a high performance organization where actually people love to work. So we help and it just have more courageous conversations. And those are things like giving feedback, setting clear objectives, building trust, motivating, problem solving, coaching. And as you will guess, we use kind of uh, uh, role play quite, quite a lot in that kind of program. And presumably you have a website. Uh, we have a website. The uh, location is www.21stcenturyleader.co.uk. That's Two one as numbers, two one, 
stcenturyleader.co.uk. But if you just uh, Google 21st Century Leader, I think we come up pretty high in the rankings, so that'll take you to the website. There's also a link on the Trainer Tools website, of course, um, which is www.trainer-tools.com. So you can get a link straight to Larry there and see his short biography and um, photograph. That's great. John, it's been a real pleasure uh, talking with you. Thank you very much indeed. Thank you very much, Larry. So that was me talking to Larry Reynolds about his six-step method for ensuring successful role plays. I hope you found it useful. If you're a learning and development professional, trainer, whatever, and you're listening to this and you think you'd like to be on it and share some wisdom, knowledge, whatever, please do get in touch. It would be great to feature you. Thanks and see you next time.